You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my team Till I met
it's so much fun to walk out to a song like that. I love when I get to do that. And a little treat today, that's Ben Colasano on the drums. He's usually our production director sitting in the back, and you never get to see him. So it's kind of fun to see him doing that today. Well, I just want to say hello. My name's Tracy. I'm the discipleship director here at the Clinton Township campus. And I want to welcome everybody sitting here in the seats and those of you who are viewing online. I mean, it's July 4th weekend, right? So you could be doing anything else. So we are just so glad that you're here with us today as we celebrate Independence Day. Well, I always like to start out the service, or we do, by telling you a few things that are going on to connect you with what's going on. And I bet with holiday weekend, some of you are going to be barbecuing this weekend. Anybody? Not too many. Are you going to a barbecue? Are you eating this weekend? <laughs> well, we love barbecues too. And so we decide to shake up our midweek services, which are every third Wednesday of the month here at our campus. So July 20th is our next one coming up. And so for July and August, we want to make it so easy for you to come here that we're going to provide dinner. We're going to be barbecuing hot dogs and hamburgers, some ice cream treats, because we know that it's kind of hard to get here because of construction, traffic nightmare. Anybody relate? Not so bad this time on Gratiot because that's opened up again. But anyways, we just want to make it super easy for you to come. And it's always just fun to hang together. So if you come at 6 o'clock, then we'll also have, oh yeah, the service, the most important part, right, is at 7 o'clock. We'll have a great message and we always have a whole bunch of music going on in the midweek service. So that's in two weeks, July 20th, and then again the third week of August, which the, na- the number escapes me, but the third Wednesday of August. Well, we are about to go head into our, today we're kicking off our new series called Four Epic Tales. And we're looking at the lives of four people, very ordinary people that God has used to do extraordinary things in his kingdom. And today Craig's going to be teaching on Jonah. Many of you know the story, I bet, of Jonah and the whale. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, it's kind of a common story. And I can't wait to hear Craig's message because for me, it was a pivotal story in the Bible when I was exploring Um, to decide if I believed if this was true, I was like, Lord, if you can make me believe that Jonah and the whale really happened, then I can look at your word as something that's real and true. And so God used that particular story to open up my mind to the reality of the Bible as God's word. So I know you're going to be really blessed by Craig's message. Hey, and if you're new here, we'd just love to welcome you to Kensington. Um, We have a place out in the lobby we affectionately call The Hub, which just means everything is there, right? It's a hub. So if you're brand new to Kensington or maybe just attending for a little bit, stop by. We got a little something for you. But maybe you just have questions about what's going on, and our volunteers are there, and they're happy to answer questions for you. So I'm wearing a name tag. Are you guys wearing a name tag? It's Name Tag Sunday, first Sunday of the month we do this because we know it's kind of a big deal to walk into this great big place and not know anybody's name. It's always great to know somebody's name. So we just think it's a great way to to not just sit next to somebody for an hour, but maybe get to know them. And then we ask a question, what is your favorite ice cream? Mint chocolate chip. Anybody? So take a moment before we move on in the service to stand up and say hello to those around you and tell them what your favorite ice cream is.
All right, good morning, everyone. I'm just going to add my welcome to Tracy's welcome. We're so glad you're here. There are a lot of empty seats, but um, I'm not worried about that. I'm happy with the ones that have someone sitting in it. We're so, we're so glad you're here. Um, mint chocolate chip. I, my favorite is chocolate chip, and when they put mint in it, they ruined it. And nobody, car nobody carries it anymore. All right, so there's a lot of boos there. Uh, all right, so I'm going to boo at somebody myself. Who put peanut butter? One guy over there in the red shirt. Anybody else? A couple here. All right, you guys, someone escort them out of the room, please. Because anybody that like peanut butter ice cream, there's something not quite right about that. We had it in the first service as well, about the same number. So that should tell yourself something. You peanut butter ice cream lovers, you're a very, very, very small minority, which means you're wrong, okay? So anyhow, uh, so 4th of July weekend, um, you know, I was here in the early 2000s for about eight years. We had two campuses at that time. And um, they, it was in Troy and then in uh, Rochester, Adams High School. And when the holidays came, I was low man on the totem pole. So Steve Andrews, the founder, Dave Wilson, the founder, they would go away and I would always teach the holidays when everybody else was out having fun. So I'm in charge now. Why am I here? I can't. <laughs> like you think finally I could just say no to the holiday. But I actually am super excited to be here today. And as Tracy said, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be jumping into this epic tale story. Actually, two from the Old Testament, two from the New. Uh, two from the Gospels. We're going to look at the story of uh, the man who was paralyzed and his friends lowered him through the ceiling to get to Jesus so he could be healed. And then we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus, the little guy who climbed the tree to see Jesus. And he was a tax collector and he had this total change in his life. So those are the two New Testament. The Old Testament, we're going to look at the three guys that are put in the furnace because they wouldn't bow down to a false god and God rescued them. And then today, we're going to start off with this guy named Jonah. Now, I grew up in the church, so I probably heard this story for the first time. I'm guessing I was maybe four or five years old. And when you're a kid, this is, is this not the coolest story? Like a guy gets swallowed, by the way. Uh, Tracy, sorry, but it doesn't say whale. It says a great fish. So it could have been a whale. I personally think it was a perch. But <laughs> anyhow, it's a story that as a kid you just love. Um, but the, the reality is, like, what is this story really about? And so I'm going to tell you that in a little bit, I'm, when I come back up and start the message, we're going to spend a little time at the beginning addressing two issues. The first one is for those of you that, like Tracy, where you're kind of skeptical and doubting and you're just not sure about this, like, could it really be true that a guy actually spends three days in the belly of a big fish and then he's spit out on dry land and he's alive to tell about it? So we're going to deal with that. And the second thing is going to be the question of relevance. Like, what in the world does this story possibly have to do with me? And if you know the synopsis, or if you don't know, a real quick synopsis of the story is that God sees a city that's in great need, great sin, actually. In fact, the word is they're in full of wickedness, and he's got to do something about it. So he goes and he gets this guy named Jonah to go do something about it. And instead of obeying God, Jonah goes the opposite direction, gets on a boat to get away. So God sends a storm. They throw him over the boat, or he jumps over the side of the boat, and he gets swallowed by this fish for, and he, for three days he comes out of the fish, he goes to the city, he preaches, they repent, and jo Jonah is so mad he's suicidal. Really great story, isn't it? Yeah, wow, like what's the relevance? Like uh, what are you going to do when you walk out of here in less than an hour and say, boy, that changed my life. That was so relevant for me because I've been thinking, you know, God's told me to go preach against the city and, you know, I was going to get on a boat tomorrow. Maybe I won't. Maybe that's the, the lesson. Don't get on a boat if you're running away from God. So we're going to actually dive in because what I found in preparing for this message and I've kind of lived in it for a month. 
There's only four chapters. You can read it over and over again. I suggest you do that. But I saw some new, fresh things in here where I feel like there's three things we're going to learn, very amazing things, two about God and one about ourselves in this story. So I'm really excited for us to spend some time in that. Um, to get ready for it, um, we have a song that we're going to offer to you. Uh, and before we go into the song, we're going to invite you to be on that boat with Jonah. So use your imagination. Picture you're on a boat, a storm comes up. It's lightning, it's thunder, it's big wave, it's big, they're crashing, and then the storm goes calm. And the lyrics of this song talk about a wandering heart as opposed to one who fully surrenders and submits to God. Because I don't know about you, but I've had a, a lifetime of wandering every now and then. And uh, this story has something for those of us who understand that. Maybe some of you are wandering right now. Where's God in this story? Stars in your world 
Oh, wasn't that a gift? I don't, I've not heard that song before today. Jesus, my captain, my soul's trusted Lord. I love that. All of my allegiance is rightfully yours. Um, hard to live that out all the time, but that's, that's our, our goal, our desire. So um, before we jump in with our two questions we're going to answer, we're going to take a moment to receive our offering. And I just want to tell you, I got an email a couple days ago from someone that was talking about um, our partnership with Micah 6 ministry in the city of Pontiac, and especially with uh, Joachim Coleman, or Coleman Joachim, who is the founder of that, and the work of developing this Webster Community Center, which is an incredible space that's going to serve the community in all their needs, you know, physical and spiritual and mental and emotional needs. And as I was reading that and thinking about it, I was, I was like, I am so glad that I'm part of a church that values this kind of thing that really values pressing into our community and seeing where needs are and bringing the love of God in a tangible way into that community, that that's what we get to do, to do together. And so that's what this offering moment every week is about. It's like our joining together to make an impact on our community and on the world as well. And so I'm always grateful. I always say that when I come up and talk about the offering. I'm all, always grateful for all of you that are joining with us to make this happen. So you can see there's ways to give on our website or on the app. Or you can text, or also on your way out, we do have a box to drop some checks in. So thank you for making things like this possible as we serve Jesus together. All right, let's talk about these two questions. The first one is, if you're here sitting, uh, sitting, uh, sitting here thinking to yourself, there's no way I will ever believe that a man got swallowed by a fish and was in there for three days and came out talking. He might get swallowed, but that's the end of his life. Like, that's kind of crazy. And I have to tell you, I admit, on one level, when I think about it, it sounds suspiciously familiar to a story I learned as a kid that was a scary story because it was about a wooden puppet where if he lied, his nose would get longer. And he ran away to Pleasure Island, and his dad came looking for him. And this is where his dad ends up, in a whale. And you can see him being spit out of the whale. By the way, when I look to find a picture, there's so many crazy pictures of Geppetto inside the whale. My favorite is he's got a desk and a lamp and he's writing something. Like, that's what it would be like to be inside of a fish. But it's like, like is this really just not a fable, like a made-up story? And then if it is, as Tracy said, do you, what do you believe in the Bible to be true? This is thousands of years ago. For crying out loud, we live in the day of science. We understand science, how this works. There's nothing like that could ever happen. There are some modern stories of people being swallowed by fish and surviving, but I, would, I don't want to go there. Here's where I want to go. I think the root of the issue is whether or not we believe that God exists. Because if God exists, he's the first scientist. And what I mean by that is everything he created is governed by the laws of science, which he made. So gravity, all the physics, everything, God created that and the laws that govern it. So my question would be, if you're, if you're struggling with the story of Jonah, how hard would it be for that God, that creator, who made everything, who is the ultimate scientist, to say for one moment, I'm going to change how this works? It's no different than Jesus walking on water, multiplying the bread, healing the lepers, or giving sight to the blind. Uh, the God of, who, of creation who made everything, who made the laws that normally govern what we do, can suspend those laws whenever he wants for whatever reason. And I believe that that is what this story is about. 
So we don't recommend that you try this at home because this is not the normal thing. Don't go try, don't go into Lake St. Clair and try to get swallowed by a big sturgeon tomorrow to see what happens. Uh, God probably is not going to suspend, if he did, the laws of science. But this is not far-fetched if you can believe in God. So I think ultimately the issue is whether God actually exists or not. So that's the first one. The second one is, what's the relevance of this story? I mean, for crying out loud, any, any prophets in here? Is God telling anybody to go to a foreign country, into a foreign land, and to preach a sermon there to see if they will repent of not? So at first blush, it would look like this story really has absolutely nothing to do with any of us, and where would we find relevance? But what I discovered in sitting in this story, in these four chapters, is that there are, there are two lessons about God that are so important that are revealed in this story, and there's one lesson about ourselves. So as we're moving through the next 20 minutes or so, if you think about the two things, and I'm going to make them really clear, two lessons about God we find in this story, and one lesson that's about ourselves. And so here's where the story begins. It begins with a call um, that God gives. And, and by the way, what I decided to do, because I've taught on Jonah before over the years, you know, I'm pretty old, so I've done this a number of times, and so I, I said to God, I want a fresh perspective on this. Could you give me something fresh in this? And so I sat with the book and read it, and I feel like he answered that prayer because I'm going to tell the story from God's point of view. Typically, the story is thought of as Jonah's the central character. Let's look at this experience from Jonah's experience. But we're going to look at it from God's point of view. And what we're going to discover is that God's got a problem that becomes two problems. The problem, the first problem that God has is he's got this city that's in trouble. They're filled with all kinds of wickedness and bad behavior, and God sees the whole world, and he's not going to let this go. He wants to do something about it, and we'll find what he actually wants to do is redeem it, but he's, but he's aware of it. So problem number one is, what am I going to do with this city? And so here's what he does. He goes to a guy named Jonah, who's a prophet, who would know God, and he's asking Jonah to do something. And here's what he says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was in, uh, it would be part of the Assyrian Empire back then. Today, it's the city of Mosul in Iraq. And it's about 550 miles from where Jonah's going to get on a boat. So it's a, it's a pretty good journey. And so God, the assignment is to send Jonah there. But here's how Jonah responds. This is in verse 3 of chapter 1. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And Tarshish is in Spain. That's quite a ways away. So one problem became two problems for God. Again, looking at this from God's point of view. In fact, here's a map. This will really show you what God is dealing with here. So you can see Nineveh, and you can see Tarshish. So let's just picture God, and God is nothing like this. So don't take this literally at all, but picture God saying, oh, I'm so burdened for, for Nineveh. They're, they're going to experience calamity if something doesn't change. I've got to do something about it. Yo, you know what? I'm going to go to Jonah, my prophet, and ask him to go. And so he goes to Jonah and he says, I need you to go to Nineveh, make the journey, make the trip there, and I want you to preach there. All right. So God's there now. Problem solved. He's looking at Nineveh. Yeah, they're still acting badly. 
And he's looking at Jonah, who's not on his way there. <laughs> Where is he? Not that God would ever ask that question. Where is he? Oh, my gosh. He went to Joppa. He's getting on a boat. And Joppa, uh, Tarshish, by the way, was the whole length of the Mediterranean. So instead of 550 miles to obey God, he gets on a boat, paying the fare to go 2,500 miles the opposite direction. He's li- he didn't run away. He's sailing into the sunset. He's heading west. He's getting out of here. So now God's got two problems. His one became two. Nineveh's still in trouble, and the guy he selected to go help Nineveh is now running away. So he has to solve both. And the story of Jonah is about a God who solves both of these problems. He steps into them. He cares about both. He cares about Nineveh. He cares about Jonah. And he's going to pursue it, and he's going to uh, bring change into both Nineveh and also into the life of Jonah. Now, why did Jonah not want to go? I think most of my life when I pondered that question, it's like, duh. Would you want to go to a foreign land and preach judgment? To who, a land who's your enemy? Because Assyria was, that empire was an enemy of Israel. So I wouldn't want that assignment. I'm thinking hellfire brimstone message, and they're going to kill me. Like, why would they listen to me coming from another land? Why would they listen to me? Why would I put myself in harm's way? Why would I do that? So I've always, you know, always, the story's always told as, you know, Jonah feared for his life, didn't want to obey God, and he goes the opposite direction, away from God. Or maybe it's not been told that way, because that's not what the book says. But that's how I thought about the story. And I kind of had sympathy for Jonah. Like, I didn't blame him for that. In fact, if you know my story, um, I was minding my own business in 2006 and 7. We started Clinton Township Campus. I was a lead pastor. We had a great team. We absolutely, I love being here. And then one day, God began to speak to my wife first, saying, he's calling us to plant a church in New York City. And I'm not kidding. I said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I actually said the word Nineveh. Because I saw, I saw this wicked city as Nineveh. I didn't want to go there. I'd never been there. I'd never visited there. I didn't want anything to do with New York City. Everything I learned about New York, I learned from TV. That's where you go to get killed, mugged, beat up. Just bad stuff happens there. I didn't want to go. And so for a year, as my wife prayed for me, because she felt in her heart, without any doubt, we were supposed to go, I was Jonah. I didn't get on a boat sailing the opposite way, but I dug my heels in here. And God pursued me. And story goes, I ended up in, for the last 14 years, I've been in New York City uh, in a ministry there. But um, God called me there. But, but Jonah, uh, so my fear was kind of that. I was afraid of the city. That's not Jonah's problem. And we're actually going to have to wait till we get to the end of my message to figure out why Jonah didn't want to go. But the reality is that Jonah and God had a conversation that's not recorded in the first chapter, but in the fourth chapter, it's hinted at. When God said go, Jonah talked back to God and told him why he didn't want to go. But in the end, he actually went the opposite direction, and he sails away. So this is where we see now the first lesson from this um, incredible story. The first lesson. Because what happens as as we continue in the first chapter, that when he got on the boat, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So they're on board. It's, these are seasoned sailors. They're, as you read the details, they're frightened out of their minds. They're filling up with water. There's no turning back. Probably they're going into the wind. Um, since God sent the wind, he probably sent it at their bow so they couldn't make progress. So um, 
they finally fi figure out that Jonah's the problem, and, and so here's what Jonah says to them. Now consider, this is how badly he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. <laughs> Do you get it? How badly did he not want to go? I'd rather die. And that, that was a suicidal move he made there. Throw me overboard. And they threw him reluctantly, threw him overboard. And I picture Jonah now, you know, fighting the waves for a while. And then he just succumbs and he starts going underwater. L water's going to fill his lungs. He's going to be dead. And now he's swallowed by this great fish. In chapter 2 of Jonah, by the way, we're not going to spend any time in there today. But this is where he cries out to God and he prays. I think a lot of what he said there is insincere. He just wants to get out of the fish. He ends up going to Nineveh, but we'll see he didn't have, his heart was not in the right place. But he has this experience, and after three days, um, he spit up in the land, alive. Now, the question, this is the first lesson. The question is this, why would God go to all this trouble with Jonah? Jonah made his intentions clear. He turned his back on God. He walked away. He's not going to do it. Why would God, would it not be easier than the storm and the fish and all of that for God to say, all right, I guess I'm going to have to ask Bob to go or Betty. Like, why not plan A, B, uh, B, C, or D? Like, why would he stick with Jonah? Jonah's already shown a hard heart and a rebellious nature, and he doesn't want to submit to it. Why in the world would God continue to do this and go to all this trouble and work and pursue Jonah in this way? And this is the part I love about this story. I fell in love with this idea when I studied uh, the, the book this time because what I see God doing is not giving up on him. Stubborn, obstinate, rebellious, bad attitude. And in today's day and age, this would be cancel culture. And I know there's a time when we act badly where maybe we have to be set aside. Cancel culture is when you're just done. Whatever you've done, this marks you for life. This is a scarlet letter. This is the brand on you. You did this. You did that. You failed. You're done. Especially if you're, if you're a person that's known like a celebrity. You mess up. You're done. God is not the God of one-off. He's not. He pursued Jonah at great lengths. He was very persuasive. The storm, the fish, going after him. So the first lesson is this, and if you want to write this down, this is, this to me has been so, uh, made me so embrace the love of God over the last few weeks looking at this, that God does not cancel us, he pursues us. And so most of you, I don't know, and I don't know your story. I don't know if you have something in your past or it's right now. But I, what, I, what I want you to hear from this story, watch God look at Nineveh. We're going to come to that in a moment. And then watch him look at Jonah instead of saying, forget you. I got to get Bob. Or somebody else to go that will submit to me, that loves me, that will do what I'm asking him to do. No, he does the opposite. Jonah turns his back on God. God does not turn his back on Jonah. And I'll tell you, if Jonah had made it all the way to Tarshish and ended up there, his life would have been a ruin. He would have stepped away from everything. He would have, his life would have been filled with regret and guilt and shame about what he did, turning away from God. God loves him too much to let him do that, so he goes after him. He pursues him. No cancel culture with God. He doesn't cancel us. He pursues us. So right now in your life, I want you to think about a failure. It could be a big one. It could be 20 years ago. It could be yesterday. It could be a small one. To know that God is not canceling you. 
He will never turn his back on you, even if you and I turn our back on him. He will pursue us. He will go after us. And he went to pretty extreme measures here with Jonah. And I look at the course of my life, I've never had anything like that. But I've been in places of rebellion where I can look back now and see how God lovingly went after me. He dogged me. He would not let me get away with it. Why? Because he's mad. No, the opposite. He loves me. He loves you. This story tells us that God is not a God of canceling people. He's a God of pursuing and redeeming people. It's such a beautiful picture here. So let's pick up the story now. So now he's out of the fish. He's on dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same, same instructions for, at the beginning. Go and proclaim the message. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. By the way, not because he wanted to. I don't know if the fish thing scared him, but he went reluctantly. And so what's the name, uh, what's the word that God gave him? And we have Jonah's sermon recorded here for us, and it's only eight words long. Now, don't ever expect an eight-word sermon from me. I need way more words than that. But his is only eight words. In Jonah 3, he says, and we're told, by the way, he went the, uh, the length and breadth over three days of the city proclaiming this message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Very simple to the point. Calamity's coming. And, you know, here he is, a foreigner, smelling like a fish, walking around the city proclaiming this. And miraculously, here's what happens. The Ninevites believe God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And if we finish the story here, we'd say, oh, this is so wonderful. The grace of God, the mercy of God, and the reluctant prophet finally changes his heart and goes and does what God asked him to do. And they, they all repent, and the city is saved, and praise God, hallelujah. Why don't we get the band back out here, have another song, go home, praising God. That's not where the story ends. And I think the most important part of the story is what follows. But he preached and they repented. And so that is really good news, especially for the Ninevites. They repented and God forgave them. But as we get into chapter 4, which is what I think the book is about, we need the first three chapters to set this up. We get to chapter 4 and Jonah is not happy. He's not happy at the outcome. And this is why, where we discover now the conversation that he and God had before he went and why he didn't want to go, why he would rather be thrown into the sea and die than go. They have this conversation now, and here's what Jonah says to God. Before I do that, can I just say this? Again, God doesn't cancel, he pursues. So even in this conversation, Jonah's confronting God, he's angry. Um, that's where God wants to be, right next to that person, every time. Whatever's in your heart, mouth, mind, to say it. God's there. That's how patient and loving he is. So, so here's what Jonah says. Isn't this what, the Lord, what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? So now we get to know what he said. And here's what Jonah said. Back to God. In chapter 1, it's not recorded, but here's what he said. This is what I tried to forestall. What? <laughs> the deliverance. I didn't want it. I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a... Here's lesson two. Something about God revealed. Not only does he not cancel culture with any individual, he is gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents in, from sending calamity. And how does Jonah feel about this? Back in the same place, sitting in a lonely place, out in a desert-like place, 
by himself with God. He says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And you gotta, you, you got to kind of like pull your hair a little bit and say, really, are you kidding me? Like, I knew that this was going to happen, and that's why I didn't go. I knew you were going to love him and forgive him and restore him, and I didn't want you to. So that's why I went the opposite direction. I wasn't afraid of preaching. I was afraid of them repenting and you loving them. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted them to burn. If I knew that you were going to do what you could have done, I would have brought my uh, picnic chair up and, a, and something to drink and some popcorn and sat there and watched it happen, and I would have been happy. Literally, that's what he's saying. I'm not happy that you did this. I knew it. I knew this is what you're going to do. I knew you were a God like this. I mean, I get up here every time I preach, and I gladly pro- proclaim a God that is loving and compassionate and kind and slow to anger and abounding in love. That's what I do for a living. I get to proclaim that. Jonah didn't want to proclaim that to people that were in wickedness because he knew, he knew God was going to forgive him, and he didn't want it. So what does this tell us about first God, and then what does this tell about Jonah and maybe about ourselves? So the second lesson is this, that God is revealed in this story exactly the way Jonah just quoted it. He was revealed, his nature is that he's gracious and compassionate and he's slow to anger and abounding in love. That's who God is. And you know, that's not, who, that's not how God is often portrayed. He's not. I grew up in, in, a, in the kind of church where um, we talked about the fear of God and I was afraid all the time. We even had this little song that they taught us in Sunday school, oh, be careful little hands what you do. Oh, be careful little hands what you do. For there's a father up above and he's looking down and they said it in love, but it didn't feel like that. Like he's watching my every action, just ready to pounce on me. What is his nature? Even at the very first verse when it says go preach against them, you can interpret that in the Hebrew many different ways. The against was really to say your behavior is going to bring destruction and I'm against that. And I'm offering you a way out through my love and my compassion. God could have just ignored them or he could have just burned them. He didn't either. He came to them with a message that would create an opportunity for them to change and to receive his love. And Jonah wanted no part of that. But that's who God is. We can't get away from this anywhere in Scripture. This is who God is. This is what our message is. This, this is what we're to proclaim. And if we don't proclaim this, we have no message to give to a world that has so much ha- hatred and animosity and anger. That's our message to keep saying over and over again, and by the way, it's fully embodied in Jesus, who said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, nowhere else. Jesus himself said that. It's in our Bible. I and the Father are one. What was Jesus like? He was called a friend of sinners. That was a nickname given to him by the religious bigots of his day. They thought it was a criticism, and he got a t-shirt made with that put on it. Didn't really. Don't look that up. But friend of sinners... Sinners were drawn to him. Why? Because he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah wanted no part of that message. And that's tragic. So he solved the one problem through a reluctant Jonah who got persuaded to go with a bad attitude. Even with a bad attitude, he he preached this eight-word sermon and they repented. So now he solved problem one. But now God's got problem two, and he's got a prophet here who's saying, I knew it, I knew it, I'm not happy, I want to die. So now his prophet is suicidal. So what is God going to do about that? And this is where we come into our third lesson, and this is a lesson about Jonah, but it also becomes a lesson about me. 
I believe, and about you if you're open to it. The third lesson is simply this, that um, our hearts need to be aligned with God's heart of love. And for Jonah, it was not aligned. It was not aligned. And I don't want to do what I'm doing. I don't want to work for Kensington or any church if, if God is not moving in my heart to align it with his heart. Because I'm just going to do damage. I'm going to do damage with how I live. I can get up here and say the right words, but where, where is my heart? And especially as it relates to people who maybe I have a problem with. People that, I, there's animosity that's there. In fact, I got a question I think God's Spirit gave to me this week that I, I'm going to ask myself, I hope, for the rest of my life, and I'm going to invite you into this journey. And the question is, who are your Ninevites? Or maybe it's one person. This would be someone that has hurt you or wronged you or done something or it's a group of people that you don't like what they're like or what they're doing and you can't tolerate it and you do not want to go and preach repentance to them because you don't, you don't, you don't care for them. I'm just going to confess that I, had, I got hurt by someone, I think it's about eight years ago now, and tried to do everything to reconcile and instead of reconciling, what happened is the person just poured coals on and talked about stuff and spread stuff and I couldn't, I couldn't change it. It just happened and it's still out there this many years later. And I will tell you that as I've been preparing this message, I realize that I haven't prayed for them in a long time. I don't really care. And I don't care if they're in misery. I felt that. And I got really convicted about it. And this week for the first time, and this happened to me in preparing the message, so I'm hoping that it will happen to someone listening to it. For the first time in many years, I actually found myself every day praying and praying for good for them and not harm. Because I might see them as a Ninevite who I want nothing to do with and I want to go to Tarshish. And God sees them as a Ninevite that, that he loves and wants to restore them. I wasn't a part of that agenda at all for a number of years now. Who's my Ninevite? You know, I think, I think knowing the circumstances of this story that there was actually racial hatred in Jonah. It had to be more than just a wicked city. This is, these are people that their history against Israel has been bad. So that's the last place he wanted to go. So he had one heart condition toward the Ninevites, and God had a different toward them. And he was a prophet, but their hearts weren't aligned. This story asks the question of all of us who would name Jesus as our captain, as we sang earlier. Are our hearts aligned with Jesus' heart? Who is my Ninevite? Who are your Ninevites? You know, it doesn't have to be a big thing, by the way. Um, I, I fly back and forth between New York and Michigan a little bit, and flights have gotten really nasty lately. They're getting canceled. They're getting delayed. Everybody's frayed around the edges. The people that work for airlines have had enough. You can see it in their face. I got on a plane yesterday and just felt like I was disrespected and mistreated like everybody else getting on the plane by the staff. And I sat there with a bad attitude. It was in my heart. I didn't say anything, but it was there. And I sat there feeling justified, thinking judgmental thoughts about everybody. And then I pulled out my message <laughs> to look at it. Oh, my gosh. You know what I did? I, there's a song I've been listening to for a while called, um, I think it's um, Lord, You Have My Heart by Lauren Daigle. I put the earbuds in and I listened to it. And by the end, I just had tears coming down. I just repented. I said, I'm such a bonehead. I can't believe something so small 
and I just have a stance or a position of anger and judgment toward this person? Is that a heart that's aligned with God? Who's slow to anger? Compassionate? Where is my compassion? Abounding in love? I was a polar opposite. I mean, nobody knew it because I just sat there quietly. But, it, you know, Jesus said eventually the mouth speaks out of what's in the heart. So there's a heart issue there. And by the way, I don't, I'm not standing here in any shame over this because I've lived long enough to know this is a lifelong journey. It's just more and more. You always got more layers to peel. And he loves us. That's why he pursues us. He didn't cancel me. He didn't say, you know what, I'm, you're done at Kensington because you got an attitude. No, it's just an opportunity to step into the beauty of his forgiveness and his love and to say, Jesus, you're my captain. I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Yeah. So when, when, God, um, when God responds um, to Jonah, sitting in that moment, here's what he says. We're going to finish with this. He says to Jonah, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand. And then for you animal lovers, I love this, and many animals as well. Like God saw this city and he saw beyond their wickedness and saw the beautiful 120,000 souls who he loved, who he created, and the life they were living with all their animals and he wanted to redeem it. And he said, shouldn't I have had compassion on them? And that's what it really in the end boils down to. Compassion for people. Jesus, when he was um, speaking to the crowds one time in Matthew chapter 9, I love this. So when I read this, it kind of, to me, it, was, it reminded me of what Jesus said about the people that he was ministering to. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. You think I should have thought that yesterday when I was getting on the plane? And this, these people are, I have to go to the airport a couple times a month. This is their job every day. They are harassed and helpless. And then like sheep without a shepherd, and that's how he saw Nineveh. They're acting badly, but they don't know me. If they get to know me, I can help them. And they're going to change. And so I don't know which of these three today God has for you. My prayer was that everybody would take one of the three. It was for them today. Because you don't need to hear from Craig. You need to hear from God. That's why we do this. This is for God to speak to us. So I'm just going to real quickly. Do you feel canceled? Because you're not. If you turned your back on God, he hasn't turned his back on you. He's coming after you. And then secondly, do you really know and believe that the nature of God is love, it's compassion, it's kindness, it's slow to anger? That's his nature. And third, are our hearts aligned with that heart? Because we have nothing to say to this world if it's not. We don't. And every time that that gets exposed, we don't know what happened to Jonah because the story ends abruptly with those last words. The last word of the book is animals. 120,000 souls in animals. I shouldn't I have compassion? We don't know what happens with Jonah after that. I'd like to believe that, that he caved into love and saw the error. But I don't want to do this unless there's love for the Ninevites, whoever they are. And so God, we just submit all this to you, to the work of your spirit. Thank you for talking to me this week. 
showing me, loving me, pursuing me. I pray that for everyone here. Those who know Jesus, those who are exploring, to see what an amazing heart of love you have for everybody. And that you'll never stop pursuing the Ninevites or us. In your name, amen.
with no reservation You're not looking for perfection There's no need in me pretending I'll give you everything I'll give you everything You deserve my full attention Nothing less than my devotion Speak to me and I will listen I'll give you everything I'll give you
on, sing it with me. Oh, 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 you can have my heart, every part, have my heart. No, come on, we're going to do it again. Sophia, Sophia, come here, come here. All right, so we have Sophia 1, Sophia 2 this week. Let's uh, thank them for their ministry. And over here, we have Hannah, which is Sophia's daughter. And we have Brian over here, who normally is back there playing electric guitar, but we got his voice today. If I try to name the band, I'm going to forget somebody's name, so forget that. Um, I don't know if you realize it, but like the beauty of worship, even the set, I'm, I've been gone for a month. I came in this morning. I was so astounded at what I saw. You know, that's, that's Stan, that's Ben, that's Eric, that's Joshua. These are people who love Jesus, and this is their gift to Jesus and to us. So let's, they're listening to me right now. Let's just thank them for the work that they do. So in, the, in that last song, I counted the chorus, You Have My Heart. How many times we said it? It was 4,361 which is a great reminder because you don't give him your heart one time. Every day, over and over again, there has to be the prayer. And that's my prayer as we leave, that we would say to Jesus, you have my heart. And when I read the scripture, by the way, I activate my imagination and I close my eyes and I try to picture what's happening. The thing that's gonna live with me the rest of my life is I see Jonah depressed and suicidal, hard heart sitting there and I see God tenderly next to him, talking in reasoning, saying, shouldn't I have had compassion? That's the God we serve. He's gonna sit with us the rest of our lives. And when, we're, when we've gone wayward, he's right there. Hope you know that. Have a great holiday tomorrow. Enjoy your family and friends. God bless you. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.